Welcome to studentofthebible.com. I'm your host, Renee, and I'm a Bible student. I'm glad you are, too. Thank you so much for joining. Pray for discernment and ask God to show you how you can share this information with others and be a blessing. Welcome to the third and final podcast in our series on Adam and Eve. We've been on an interesting road of discovering during these past few weeks. We have learned about the love and attention that God gave to his first humans. He not only created us bara, from nothing, and therefore separate and distinct from the other animals, but he also created us in his image to rule. What this means is that God ordained that his will would be carried out through humans. God has chosen to work in and through humans. Now, this may at times have seemed like a bad idea, right? Well, many tend to view God as, okay, creator, but a distant creator. Benevolent, perhaps, but distant and not really intervening unless we royally mess up. These people are called deists, D-E-I-S-T-S. But we learn at the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, that this is not the case. It says in verse 26, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. By our ruling, we are working in and through God. He is not just sitting back. Made in the image of God, we're filled with his spirit, and it is to be a symbiotic relationship between man and God. Isn't that an incredible way to look at it? Paul, in the New Testament, talks about this divine directive in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. In other words, what we think, what we do, what we say does matter. It actually has eternal ramifications. Giving ourselves fully to the work of the Lord means that he is present and with us and in us. And when we let him, he works through us. I wanted to start with this thought because today we're going to take a look at what is called the fall of man or the fall. There are those who believe the lie that we're lost and that nothing we do matters or has eternal consequences. 
those people are called nihilists. There are others who believe we're born without a purpose in a world that makes no sense, but that each person has the ability to create his or her own sense of meaning and peace. And we call those people existentialists. Well, it's actually quite the opposite. God made us to be in partnership with him, to rule the earth and to have an everlasting relationship with him. That sounds to me like a pretty specific and wonderful purpose. It's important for us to know that God did not tempt Adam and Eve, nor did he create them as robot-like beings without free will either. Out of love, he gave them the right to choose. We call that free will. He gives us the same right today. God forces no one to follow him or to love him or to obey him. As we talk about the fall, I want you to think about, is this Bible story to be taken symbolically or literally? To be honest, many Bible scholars differ on this. So we're going to use scripture to interpret scripture, and we're going to look at the New Testament. First, we're going to look at Jesus in Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 5. Jesus says, Haven't you read that at the beginning, the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Unquote. Well, Jesus in this passage is clearly referring to the Torah and specifically the book of Genesis and the story of the first humans. So it seems Jesus takes this story of the first humans as truth. Paul in the New Testament in Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned, unquote. Paul clearly is referring to the story of the fall. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ, unquote. Here again, Paul, a learned scholar, a respected Greek, is referring to the encounter with the serpent in the Garden of Eden, as recorded in Genesis, as an actual event. So it seems that we would not be incorrect if we took this story in a literal sense, because it seems that our New Testament authors certainly viewed it this way. We're going to focus on chapter 3 of Genesis. It's an important and really a pivotal point in the whole biblical narrative because up to now, we have this beautiful picture of God lovingly engaging with man in a very special garden. The narrative of the fall is truly the key to understanding the rest of scripture, this story of man's fall 
provides us with the understanding of our social, psychological, and economic problems that are carried throughout the Bible and into our world today. The contrast between the world before sin, the world described in the Garden of Eden, and the world today, well, it's frightening. Disease and suffering are rampant, wars are always going on somewhere, and people treat one another cruelly. The rest of scripture, though, points us back to Eden, back to a relationship with God through Jesus and a way to everlasting life. That's what the rest of the Bible is about. It's a story about man's constant struggle with sin and the desire to do things his own way and God's loving desire to show us the way back to him. To all who accept Christ, Christ has offered freedom and forgiveness of sin, which is really good news since we mess up daily. You know, as we go through this lesson, I would encourage you to pray about this and what it means to accept Christ into your heart and acknowledge your sinful nature is in the need of a Savior. Maybe you're a skeptic and you're thinking, why do I even need to think about sin and need for a savior? Okay, it's a good question. Consider our inner struggle. And maybe this sounds like you. On the one hand, we have those days where we feel our true potential. We're really meant for something greater than ourselves. And we have a desire to be the very best version of ourselves that we can. Which, when you look at the Bible, this is explained by our profound awareness that we're created in his image and that we have this eternal destiny. Okay, but then, just as we're bursting with this confidence that we do have a destiny and a plan, we become acutely aware of our shortcomings and we start to experience a sense of wrongness and frustration and confusion and maybe even guilt. We're filled with the desire to be different than who we are, less selfish, less angry, less jealous, and we're often filled with a sense that God is somehow displeased with us and that he's avoiding us and not a part of our lives and that we're unworthy. I think as we get into today's lesson, it's important for us to think that if there truly was no fall, where do these feelings of inadequacy and unworthiness come from? All we have to do is turn on the news or look at our phones for just a second to realize we live in a broken world. Well, where did all this come from? Let's explore the origin of sin as it's explained in the Bible. And also, we're going to look at the good news of a promise of a way out of sin and a way back to those feelings of true joy and purpose through a personal relationship with God and getting back to that feeling that it is well with my soul. Let's open our Bibles to Genesis, and we're going to take a look at Genesis chapter 3, starting right now at verses 1 through 5. Now, 
The serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. Okay, fact check this. This is not what God said to them. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Let's take a look at the serpent. We discussed last week that scripture seems to indicate that this is more than just an animal. It is in fact the devil. And that's how I'll refer to him in our study today. The devil tempts us with personal ambition. Eve wanted to appear wise and powerful and to exert her independent will. The serpent's phrase, quote, you shall be like God, is actually a familiar temptation. You might be familiar with the poem Invictus by William Henley, which ends with this famous phrase, It matters not how straight the gate or how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. How many of us try to live our lives as being master of our fate or trying to be our own God? It seems like that's a pretty popular idea. Let's take a look at the rest of the story. Focusing on Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Okay, what went wrong here? First, listening. Eve chose to listen to evil. When Satan's first words exaggerated God's limitation, quote, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Unquote. Eve should have refused to listen any further out of loyalty to God. Just because we may not fully understand God's word or the reasons behind his words does not mean We shouldn't obey his words. Next, looking. Instead of turning away, Eve looked. Quote, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, unquote. Looking causes enchantment, fascination, infatuation. Eve became blinded by its imagined appeal. Its value was taken out of proportion. Eve could not love God and the fruit at the same time, so she chose the fruit. Taking, quote, she took some. Momentum took over, didn't it? This was a deliberate choice. She took the fruit. She took the bait. 
The devil said, you will not surely die. Even taking the fruit lost a healthy fear of disobeying God. Eating. Quote, she took some and ate it. Unquote. Now, the sin was being received into her very being. She's consuming it. And then finally, giving. Quote, she also gave some to her husband who was with her. Unquote. Here's a Bible truth. Personal sin always reacts upon the person closest to us. Who was standing right next to her? Adam. So the sin affected him too. You know, I actually found this part so interesting when I first learned that Adam was standing right next to her. Some Bible scholars blame Adam for being a bad husband. When Satan tempted Eve, Adam was literally right next to her. But Adam did not remind her of God's warning and did nothing to stop her. And now, let's take a look at the consequences for this action. Genesis chapter 3, starting at verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and the woman heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Curse is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve 
because she would become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life." Unquote. We discussed the serpent in detail during my second podcast, and so we're just going to briefly cover the fact that God gives the serpent ultimate consequences, doesn't he, for deceiving Adam and Eve and causing them to fall into sin. In Genesis 3, verse 15, God directly tells Satan, I will make you and the woman hostile toward each other. I will make your descendants and her descendants hostile towards each other. He will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. And this prophetic verse holds God's powerful plan to restore our severed relationship with Jesus. This is the rest of the Bible. Jesus, who defeats the enemy for good by dying on the cross and rising from the dead. Jesus crushed the head of the enemy by not being defeated by death, but rising again, even after Satan bruised his heel by death on the cross. Now, bruised heels, kind of a weird phrase, right? Well, in scriptural terms, bruised heels is a metaphor for any injury inflicted on us by the evil one. Harsh words, fear, shame, lies that Satan whispers in our minds, deception, circumstances that cause heartache or grief, insecurity, abuse, addiction, sickness. You get the idea. It's essentially any wound meant to harm us is a bruised heel. Doesn't that make more sense now? And just as Satan bruised Jesus's heel by death on the cross, our spiritual enemy will also bruise us. This is what he tries to do all the time. That's his MO. Satan wants to trip us up and make us veer off course. He wants us to go backwards, to get stuck in shame and bondage and guilt. Remember how I talked about our inner struggle at the beginning of this lesson? Well, Satan's ultimate goal is to take from us what God already gave us, dominion over the earth, everlasting life with God. Satan tries to get us to doubt God and his goodness. He tries to get us to focus on what we're missing. Look at what you've been forbidden to have. Instead of focusing on all that God has given us, Satan will continually strike at our heels, trying to inflict a wound that keeps us from moving forward in our walk with Christ. It's a vicious circle, isn't it? Because we fall into sin, we start to feel unworthy and undeserving of God's love. 
which is exactly how the enemy wants us to feel. His whole goal is to drive us away from the one who loves us unconditionally no matter what. The good news is that Jesus will heal our bruises and remind us God will use for good anything the devil means for harm. Paul talks about this in the New Testament in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, telling us that, quote, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, unquote. His spirit is in us and goes ahead of us, leading us forward. In Christ, we're growing, not shrinking back. This brings us back to that idea that everything we do does matter. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58 again says, Your work done in the Lord is not in vain. The Holy Spirit can and will continue to work through us to bring others into God's kingdom. This is part of our job as rulers of the earth. There's a wonderful website with great videos and lessons called The Bible Project. And I like the way that they explain this, so I'm going to quote. When we accept Jesus as our Savior, Satan can no longer have our souls. The poison of a snake is its killing power, lies in its head. Through Jesus's perfect sacrifice on the cross, he crushed the head of Satan, removing his power over our lives and fulfilling the prophecy made by God in Genesis. When we acknowledge who God is and surrender our lives to him, Satan is unable to touch our souls for eternity, which makes him furious. As a result, He's after the soles of our feet. His goal becomes to steal, kill, and destroy our physical life. Because in Christ, he can't have our eternal life. However, we don't have to be afraid. Deception is Satan's oldest trick, but we're not powerless against it. When we belong to Christ, the Bible tells us absolutely nothing can snatch our souls from his hand. Through him, we have the power to crush Satan's head in our own lives, too. Satan may bruise our heels, but in Christ, we have the ultimate victory, unquote. I love the way they describe that. So we have the serpent and what this encounter meant, but let's get back to Adam and Eve and their encounter with God after they've eaten the fruit. When God confronts the humans, their response is to fear Yahweh, but not in a good way, a way that drives them away from him. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. Well, what happens next is really typical. It's called the blame game. God asked them a simple question. Who told you 
that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Of course, God knows the answer, but it's important for them to confess what they have done. But instead of direct confession, did you notice what they do? They blame each other. The man first blames the woman. I love this. The woman you put here with me, (laughs) she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the woman's not better. She says, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. It's so interesting that the man and woman were united just a few minutes earlier in their rebellion, and now they're divided by the fallout. This is where it all unravels. All the good things that God had desired for them are now tainted. It's heartbreaking. Genesis 3, verse 16. Now your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. This is the opposite of the ideal vision in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, where man and woman are to rule together, and woman was literally created from man. Whereas originally God said, and the two shall become one. Now, the two are no longer one, rather two, trying to gain leverage over one another. What else? Women will have painful childbirth. Adam's work will no longer bring him constant joy. He's going to be plagued with sweat, suffering, and stress. We will all experience death. God will not be mocked. Satan, he promised Eve exaltation and instead all she and we get from sin was death but we know this is not the end of the story the bible would have been a really short book if it was what did god say he said that through eve's offspring salvation would be brought back to humanity her seed will crush the head of satan delivering a fatal blow That's the victory of the cross. Christ's resurrection destroyed the serpent's power to harm. This is why in the Old Testament, all the way up to the birth of Jesus, every Jewish woman hoped her son would be the promised seed. It's why genealogy was so important to the Jews. It was important to carefully prove direct line of the seed of the woman that led to Christ. This is what the Bible's about, bringing us back to Jesus, the victory of the cross. The next part of the story is that the man and the woman have to leave that perfect paradise found in the Garden of Eden. Why? Well, it was actually God's love for us that evicted us from paradise. Think about that for a moment. God's love for us made it impossible for us to stay in the Garden of Eden because God didn't want us to eat from the tree of life and therefore live forever in that state of sin. Our new reality is that eternal life is kept from us until we're redeemed and cleansed from sin by Jesus Christ. 
Faith in Christ is the only way to eternal life. Remember in the last lesson we discussed the tree of life? It is again offered to us. We can have eternal life with him. He's lovingly given us a choice. When we accept him, we accept life. Yes, the wage of sin was death. Our sin came with a price. And did you notice from this story, we weren't the only ones affected. We were and are inextricably linked to the earth and all that is in it. Animals were killed to clothe Adam and Eve. The skins that were used to cover their nakedness, where did it come from? Came from animals. Our sin affected the entire animal kingdom because death entered the world. So again, what's the good news? We have access to the tree of life by Jesus, whom Paul actually calls the second Adam in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 44 through 49. Those who seek forgiveness of sin through the shed blood of Jesus Christ are given access to eternal life, the tree of life. Now, that is good news. Let's spread some of it around. Have a blessed day.